we're going to spend, for one week only, we're going to spend some time in Proverbs. So open up um, to Proverbs chapter 3, page 637. And we've got, we've got a smattering of verses that we're going to be in today. But they're all on the theme of love and faithfulness. That's what we're going to be thinking about, love and faithfulness in Proverbs. So first up, let's have a look at Proverbs 3, verse 3, page 637. Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Okay, head over to 11, verse 25, a few pages over. Proverbs 11, verse 25. On page 645, Proverbs 11, verse 25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Okay, over to 16, verse 6. Feels bitty now, it won't do later. It'll all come together. 16, verse 6. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Last one. Go to 10 verse 12. Back a few. A few pages. There's a reason I've gone backwards. Don't worry. 10 verse 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help to understand these proverbs. They feel random and disjointed at the moment, but these are words that you have put in your word for us this afternoon. Lord, we want to be people who are loving, just like you are. We want to be people who know your love for us. So teach us now, through this wisdom, Lord, we want to be wise. Amen. Now, as we think about love, I think convincing each other that love is an important thing probably shouldn't be that difficult. Um, I think love is something that all of us would say is very important as a kind of, look, as long as we love each other, everything's going to be okay, isn't it? That's what we need to do in our world. And we have kind of modern proverbs, mostly, by the way, of song lyrics, which tell us that love is important, ready for some interaction. All you need is... Oh, nice. We had it sung down here. Beautiful. What the world needs now is Jesus. Very good. Love, sweet love. Maybe that's too much of a generational thing going on there. Okay. Bring it slightly more contemporary. Uh, we get it in the songs, but, but also in speeches. Award speeches are a big time for kind of talking about what matters. Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, Tony Awards speech in 2016. Listen to what he said. This was a passionate... We live in times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers. Remembrances that hope and love last longer. And love is love is love is love is love is love is love. Cannot be killed or swept aside. Now, I don't exactly know what he means by that. But (laughs) his big thing there, and he was in tears at that moment, was love matters. In a world of fear, love is the thing that is going to endure. Love is the thing that we need. 
So we're dripping with these present-day proverbs extolling the virtues of love. So my question is, why haven't we nailed it yet? Being loving. Why does every member of the human race find it so difficult to love? you think we'd learned, after all these thousands of years, all the lessons there are to learn about love. But also, you and I are not as loving ourselves as maybe our songs and proverbs would have us be. You know, if only we could all love each other, the world would be a better place. And so you think, well, can't we just get on with that then and just be loving? What's so difficult? Well, it is difficult, isn't it? Love just isn't easy. Love, that is thinking about others, putting others first, sacrificing for others. Love is hard to do. And it's hard to love the people you find easy to love. Isn't it the weirdest thing that sometimes our most bitter words, our cruelest actions are against those we love the most? I think about it in marriage, okay, where you've made vows and promises to love that person. There is no one else in the world who you've chosen and vowed to love. You don't make a public promise to love your brother or sister, do you? But you do your husband or wife. So why then is it so hard to consistently act loving to the one person in the world you've chosen to love? And then there's loving people who are different to us or people who we just find rub us up the wrong way. They're even harder to love. Maybe we don't actually love love all as much as we think we do. Think how different your life story would be if you just loved a bit more and people had loved you a little bit more. Well, Proverbs wants to teach us about love. In fact, it wants to teach us to really love love and being loving. The way Proverbs works is it entices us and wants to draw us to live in God's world, God's way. It's like, think of it like a big dinner, a big feast, to help us desire living in God's world, God's way. And the course it brings out tonight for us is the course of love, for us to look at and desire and see how good it is and want to live that way. That's how Proverbs works. And we might think, yeah, being told that love is important and wear it around your neck, that kind of thing. I know that love's important. But as we just said, the mess we make shows that perhaps our hearts really aren't all that in love with being loving. But God wants to help us. He wants to change us. So that's what this afternoon is about. And we're going to look at two reasons in those four Proverbs why we should love love and to live that way. First up is that love makes us lovable. Love makes us lovable. Have a look at Proverbs 3 again. Back on 6.3.7. Let's go from verse 1 this time. Proverbs 3, verse 1. You see, you'll see the enticing feasting thing going on, okay? Where he's trying, this father is trying to draw in the son to live a loving life. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So do you see the father trying to help his son to love, love? Saying, don't let it leave you. Love and faithfulness are are precious. You don't want to let them go out of your sight. Bind them round your neck. Tattoo them on your arm. Love and faithfulness matter. 
But more than that, be consistently reminded of love and faithfulness. It needs to go deep, he's saying. Write it on the tablet of your heart, not a kind of iPad tablet. It's kind of an inscribing thing. Write it deep within you. Get it in there, love and faithfulness. And he's right, isn't he? Love needs to be etched on our hearts. Because this is part of the reason why we struggle to love. Because we've got our songs, we've got Lin-Manuel Miranda, and we know that love is good, but just knowing that's not enough. If it was, our world would be fine. Because love's not etched onto our hearts with the kind of deep permanence that it needs to be. Our hearts actually struggle to love because there are all sorts of other things written on our hearts too. Me being one of them. Self. You see, actually in our culture, we're a little bit funny. Right alongside proverbs like, love is all you need, we also have, look out for number one. How do they go together? It's very hard to love other people when you're also saying, and look out for number one. There's a tussle going on deep down. So what we need then is what these proverbs say, for love to go really deep into our hearts and grip our hearts, be written on our hearts more than desire for me and looking out for number one and God can do that to our hearts and then in verse four having had this invitation to love we get this I think surprising motivation to love where he says basically love makes you lovable verse four attracts us by saying that if you're a loving person it will make you lovable verse four if you're loving you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. If love saturates your heart and life, the result will be you'll win favor with God and other people. Interesting. Let's tease that out. First, let's think about God. How can us being loving people win favor with God? Uh, uh, works righteousness alarm, okay, for some of us. We're going, hang on a minute. This, is this saying, if I'm a loving person, I can win God's favor, earn his favor? I thought we're loved by grace, not because I'm a loving person, but because of God's love. Yes, true. Now, the favor here isn't about being in or out of God's love. The favor that we win from God here is more like a dad's favor for his child. Think about my daughter, Rosie. Rosie has my love. She's in my family. She's my girl. But let me be honest, sometimes she doesn't have my favor. All right? In one sense, she does. I am always for her. But she can act in such a way that makes me angry. On the flip side, it really endears me to Rosie when she's kind and generous and loving. There are times when she is lovable and delights me because of the way she acts. And Proverbs is written for God's family, his children. This verse isn't telling you how to get into God's family. Oh, if you're loving, then you'll win his favor. It's about you're one of God's people. This is how you live rightly as one of God's people. You know what? As Christians, you and I can act in such a way that wins God's favor and ways that displease him too. Sometimes God looks on me and says, that's my boy. I'm happy with what you're doing. That delights me. 
And sometimes he's sad at what I've done. Now, when I'm unloving, he's not kicking me out of the family. That's it. Blown it. I'm in because of Christ. All of the things we've been singing about this afternoon. But it's important for us to know that God doesn't watch me sin. And now, because I'm a Christian, go, hey, yeah, he's sinning. God's not suddenly happy with the sin that I still commit and the wrong that I still do. It grieves him when I'm unloving. It grieves me when my daughter disobeys me. Do you see? So this is perhaps a surprising, but I think it's a brilliant motivation for us to want to become more loving people. When love grips our hearts, and it's how we want to live, that makes God smile. As one of God's children, don't you want that? He loves it. We win his favor. When he sees us show care and interest for that person at work no one else likes, God loves that when you do that. When God sees his church forgiving each other, growing in patience and kindness together, we win his favor and a good name in his eyes. He'll look on the globe church and say, you have a good name with me. The way you're treating each other is loving because we're being just like him. So why should we pursue being loving and faithful? God loves what he sees in us when we love like him. In a sense, when you're loving, it makes you lovable to God. That's the first bit of the motivation. But secondly, it says, have a look with me again at verse 4. You will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man, other people, basically. Okay, flip over to 11 verse 25. We're going to do this one as well. 11 verse 25, page 645. Proverbs 11 verse 25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So with these two proverbs, it's saying, if you love others, you will become more lovable to them. You will win favor and a good name with them. And and 11 verse 25 says, if you refresh others, they will refresh you. That means if you make it your aim to care for other people, to give them rest, refreshment in God, that will come back to you. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So think about your life, those people who've been really generous to you, people who've gone well out of their way to help you in life. I'm sure you can think of some people. Maybe a time when you were just broken, and at their own expense, they refreshed you. Well, how do you feel about them now? You probably love them back, don't you? They've won favor with you. Do you see how that's worked in your life? You probably want to refresh them. You may feel that maybe towards your parents, you know, as you grow up and you think, you know what, my parents gave me so much, all those nappies they changed, all those sleepless nights. I want to care for you. The way they treated you makes you love them back. Or those friends who stepped in just when you needed them. Don't you want to do that for them now? See, what goes around comes around. You see, their being loving makes them lovable, easy to love which is then a very helpful way to take a look at ourselves and reflect on our own lives. Do we make ourselves easy to love by being loving? It might be that there are certain relationships in your life at home, at church, where you find that people aren't very warm to you. You're not feeling the love, right? Now, there could be all sorts of reasons for that. It could be that they're just not very nice people and you're trying your very best, but you're just not getting anything back. But maybe 
The reason you're not receiving much love is because you're not giving much love. You're actually very unlovable. You're not finding favour with people because you're not being loving to them, perhaps. They're not refreshing you because you're not refreshing them. Let me give you an example. An example from marriage. Now, I know we're not all married. Um, some of us will be one day, but, but this applies across all kinds of relationships. But I found this a very uh, incisive example, very contemporary. Uh, as Vicky, my wife, has been chatting to some of her friends about their marriages, she's heard this description of their husbands come up. Man-child. You ever heard that? Someone described as a man-child? Now, it's actually very serious because these ladies are struggling in their marriages because they say their husbands are like teenage adults. There's very little affection, very little engagement from them. They don't help out much with family life. They come in from work and expect to be served. They don't show much willing to do much helping or work at the weekends to help out. Now, I'm sure there's fault on both sides, but at least this is going on. These husbands... These man-children are making it very hard for their wives to love them because they aren't being loving themselves. They're not refreshing their wives and are surprised to find that they're not getting much refreshment back. They're not living out this other-centered love and so they don't have a good name with their wives. The name they get is man-child. But if they refreshed and loved their wives, they would simply become much more lovable. They'd likely find that there'd be a lot of love coming back. And of course it works both ways, husbands, wives. I certainly find in my marriage, the times when I'm least attentive, most sarcastic, most distant, I get the same back from Vicky. But when I'm dedicated in tangible love, in ways she appreciates, it comes right back to me. That's a good reason to want to be loving, isn't it? It makes you easy to love and lovable. So I wonder if there are any man-children in this church, or women-children for that matter, where we're neglecting making the effort to love and refresh our spouses and are actually making it increasingly hard for them to love us. But equally, apply this to your different relationships how you treat your family, your housemates, your colleagues, where we take, take, and take, and find no one's giving to us. But if we just gave, we'd receive so much more. How about in church? Wouldn't our church community, the Globe Church, be blessed if we all made it easier for people to love us because we were giving out so much love? Wouldn't that be an amazing church dynamic where we're out loving each other in that way? And by the way, there's no place in the Christian life for this objection, which I've heard. Well, it's just the way I am. I easily get my back up. I'm a little bit marmite. I'm a bit abrasive. I'm hard to love. It's just the way it is. None of that in the Christian life. God wants you to change. That's an unloving attitude. God has better for you. He can change your heart. So think about yourself. Can you identify things about your character that make you hard to love. If you can't think of any, ask someone who knows you. <laughs> what are the things we say or do or fail to do which we know knock people around us? With God's help, what are the ways I could change to become more loving and refreshing? What a great question to ask 
in the morning, on a Monday morning? How can I refresh my housemates? What can I do for them? How can I love them? How can I refresh my colleagues, my church family? I think we'll be amazed at the refreshment and love that comes back. So that's our first thing we see from Proverbs. Why should we love love? Because if we're loving, it will make us lovable to God. He'll delight in us, but also lovable to each other. Let's just take a little pause before we go to the next point. I want you to think about how you're feeling about yourself right now. Maybe you're feeling actually quite unlovely at times. Maybe quite convicted. You can see the ways you've not loved people closest to you. And you can see even, that displeases my father. Now I said Proverbs is trying to entice us to love love, but it feels like you're getting beaten around the head with a stick at the moment. Well, Proverbs has an answer for our failure to be loving. So here's our second thing we're going to see from Proverbs. Love deals with unlovely. Love deals with unlovely. Head over to chapter 16. 16 verse 6. This is an amazing verse. All right. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Okay. Now, we said earlier that it's hard sometimes to love the people you love the most. Well, isn't it baffling then that as Christians we find it so hard to love God? It's baffling because, well, we've just been singing these songs and we've seen how amazing God is. We've seen the cross. We've seen his sacrifice for us. We're part of his family. And yet we find ourselves kind of mildly interested in him. What's going on? You think all that God has done for us would be enough to secure, padlock our love for him forever. But sin is baffling to us. Why would we love anything more than him but this is what we find ourselves doing we love God kind of second third fourth to other things and 16 verse 6 then is calling us to love God and be faithful to him this verse actually I don't think is about God's love for us first of all it's about our love and faithfulness to God I think that because of the second part of the verse so through love and faithfulness sin is atoned for Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Now, fear of the Lord is something we do, isn't it? Fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. And I think those two bits go together. It's about us fearing the Lord, and it's about us having loving faithfulness to God, which atones for sin. So Proverbs wants us to realize that it's by love and faithfulness to God that our sin is atoned for. It's by loving God that our unloveliness is dealt with. That's what atonement is, by the way. God fully dealing with our unloveliness. Atonement is God fully paying for all the wrong we've done. Think about it this way. We talk about um, having skeletons in the closet, don't we? Those things in our lives that we're ashamed of. Atonement is God taking our closet full of skeletons, our failures to be loving, and closing the door on it. And then setting fire to the closet and burning it to ash. He fully deals with unloveliness. No more sin, no more skeletons, no more guilt to stand in the way between us and God. When God gave Jesus to die on the cross, it was to deal with all of our unloveliness. In fact, the Bible says Christ was an atoning sacrifice, atonement, paying for our unloveliness. So by the way, if you're 
realizing this afternoon just how unlovely you can be? This is the answer. Christ deals with your unloveliness at the cross. But I said that this verse is about our love and faithfulness. So let's tease this out. How does our love and faithfulness to God atone for our sins? Surely it's God's love for us that atones for our sins when Jesus died for us. That's true, but that's not the focus here. Think of it this way. Imagine a little boy in danger. And their dad reaches out to the little boy and says, take my hand and you'll be safe. Now from that point of view, it is the dad's love and faithfulness to his son that is rescuing the child, right? Reverse the perspectives. From the child's point of view, in love and faithfulness to his dad, the little boy reaches out his hand and his dad pulls him away to safety. Because of his love for his dad, this deep, heartfelt, trusting, faithful love, he is rescued. Okay, dad, I love you. I'm clinging to you. I'm going to keep clinging in faithfulness to you. You can save me. I think that's what's going on here. As God lovingly provides atonement in Christ, dealing with our unloveliness in love, we reach out to him. And in faithfulness, we cling on to him all of our lives. God, you're the only one who can completely deal with all my wrong. I trust you. I give my life to you. I love you. I'm sticking with you in faithfulness. We cling to God and he atones for our sin. Through love and faithfulness to him, he atones for our sin. Now, devoted and faithful love to God is really hard, isn't it? Do you find yourself sometimes feeling cold towards God? feels like it's a kind of functional relationship you've got going on. Actually, you're really struggling to be faithful to him. Well, Proverbs says, let this truth draw you in love to God. God will atone for your momentous unloveliness. Let that draw you like a magnet to him in love and faithfulness. Put your hand in his and leave it there. So have you... Put your hand in his to deal with all your unloveliness. In faithful love, are you clinging on to him for dear life? So that's how love deals with our unloveliness before God. Isn't that amazing? But can love deal with each other's unloveliness? What about our relationships? Because we all carry scars of failed love, don't we? Friendships, marriages, Christian brothers and sisters where lack of love strained and ruptured relationships. How can you deal with that kind of unloveliness in your life? Let's go to chapter 10, verse 12, our final proverb. 10, verse 12, page 643. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Have you ever been in a situation when you've wronged somebody, and frankly they just hold it over your head, they will not let you forget what you have done. You said sorry, 
but now they're just kind of dancing on your grave. And worse, actually, maybe trying to turn other people against you because of what you've done. That's hatred that stirs up conflict. They're trying to stir up people against you. But love, the contrasting side of that proverb, covers over all wrongs. Now, that doesn't mean it just brushes it under the carpet as if it doesn't matter. You know, when people say sorry to you, we have the weird and silly habit of saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry, it doesn't matter. Why do we say that? Because it's not true. What we should say is, I forgive you. I forgive you says what you've done matters, but it's dealt with. I'm covering it over. Have the guts, the courage to say, I forgive you. It's an amazing thing. And loving forgiveness means we don't go around telling people about other people's sin. We don't make a big song and dance. We don't rub it in their face. We don't hold a grudge. Love deals with each other's unloveliness. It covers over wrong. But we really struggle with this. God has taken that closet of skeletons and in atonement through Jesus, completely done away with it. It's atoned for. But then we keep on bringing out that closet of skeletons again. And we keep opening the door, reminding people, look at your sin, look at what you did, don't forget about that. How unloving is that? To keep on bringing up people's sin. It's cruel to even, even use someone's past as a kind of manipulation and power over them. Don't you forget what you've done. I haven't forgotten. Now there may be people in this church or in your life who have deeply wronged you. And you could spend the rest of your life feeling angry and reminding them of it. But love has a better way to let it go and cover it up. If God's forgiven that sin, and as we were thinking about earlier, remembers it no more, has has sent it to east and west, who are we to say, whoa, 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 not so fast, God. I'm going to hold on to this sin a little bit more. I know you've dealt with it, but I haven't. When we've had God deal with our unloveliness, we can turn to each other And show that same wrong-covering, sin-forgetting love. So perhaps for you, there's the sin of others that you haven't let love deal with. It's like there's the cross where Jesus died to take their punishment. And you've got another cross over here where you're going to punish them a little bit more. That way of living is going to make you and everyone else miserable. There's one cross. One moment where God deals with unloveliness once and for all. It's not our job to be, continue to be judge, jury, and executioner of each other's unloveliness. Love leaves each other's sins at the cross as well as our own. God, what they've done deeply hurts me. Your love has shown me a better way. Lord, this is so hard, but please help me to cover over their wrongs, all of their wrongs to me just as you've covered over my wrongs. Maybe that's the kind of prayer you need to pray. And you know what? It's not only other Christians who we're called to love this way. Rachel Den Hollander um, was a U.S. Gym, uh, gymnast, gymnast, and she testified against Larry Nasser, who abused many within that team. And during uh, her testimony, she, she was faced with him, and some of you may have heard this. Uh, this is what she said to him, and she's a Christian, so get what she said to, to her abuser. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom, and you've spoken of praying for forgiveness. 
And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. Get this. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. I pray, she's saying this to her abuser, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Isn't that incredible? Love, rooted in the cross, can empower us to deal with the most wicked unloveliness. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians, love keeps no record of wrongs. I'm sure you'd agree, that is a beautiful vision of love and faithfulness, isn't it? Refreshing each other, covering over wrongs. Who could love like this? (laughs) Feels far from us, doesn't it? Go with me in your minds to just before Jesus would die on the cross. And John 13 says that Jesus knew that the hour had come, he's going to die. And then it says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is Jesus. He loved them to the end. And he was having an evening meal with his disciples. And already Judas had been prompted by Satan to go and betray Jesus to death. And Jesus got up from his chair, he took off his outer cloak, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he filled a bowl full of water, and he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. He washed, imagine this, the feet of Judas, who would betray him to death, and Jesus knew it. Can you imagine knowingly washing the feet of someone who's going to betray you to death? That's what Jesus did. He washed the feet of Peter, who would disown him three times and say he never even knew Jesus. He washed his feet. And he washed the feet of every single disciple, who each in turn would scarper and leave Jesus alone and desert him. I could not love like that. But Jesus did. And then that humble act of washing was a little picture of the washing Jesus would do for them and us when he died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. He loved them to the end. What was the end? It was the cross where he died. I couldn't love like that. Jesus did. He is the one who died to cover over the wrongs, not of his friends, cover over the wrongs of you and me, his enemies, naturally. Jesus doesn't drudge up our sins and torture us with guilt. Sometimes we imagine that God does that. Remember that sin? Holds it over us. He doesn't do that. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed that sin from us. He doesn't hold it over you. Jesus has loved like this. And so Jesus can help us love this way too. We can begin to change. We can begin to love this way through the most lovely one of all, Jesus Christ. So let's talk to him. Let's pray and ask for his help to change us, shall we? Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, 
as we think about ourselves, our lives, what we've done and what others have done to us, our hearts break at how unloving we are as a race, as individuals. We're so sorry that you, the God of love, who made us in love to be full of love, we are so far from that in reality. And it's our fault. But thank you that you have better for us. You haven't given up on us. But you are the God who covers over wrongs. Thank you that right now, if we would put our faith in Jesus, all our wrongs are covered over, forgotten, removed. Thank you that that is real. And you remember our sins no more. You show us love. And Lord God, I pray that we'll be a church family transformed by your love for us. Oh, forgive us for having such hard hearts that we could receive so much from you and that turn around and be so unloving to others. We're really ashamed that we're so often like that. But please change us. Help us to be like Jesus, the loving one. Help us to fulfill that law of love, to carry each other's burdens, to refresh each other just like Jesus refreshes us. I pray that we would make ourselves lovely to each other. We'd be a church who truly experience sin-covering love. We need your grace. We can't do this by ourselves. But thank you that you can and want to change us. And we pray this truly for your glory. Amen. Well, we're going to sing and we're going to enjoy communion together. And all of these songs and all that we're going to do with bread and wine is to enjoy and feast upon and remember God's incredible love for us. So we're going to stand and sing, He will hold me fast. God has a grip of love on us. Let's stand and sing. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us. You hold us. You love us so. You are amazing. We pray now that as we turn to have bread and wine, that that would speak to us afresh of your love. Amen.